he had kicked someone out for some reason, or the bouncers had kicked someone out, and the dude had been on the steps being like, oh, this is fucking bullshit, that a standard jindalop behaviour, right? He's absolutely hammered. He's gotten his ute. He's driven back to Quinn's. It's a reasonable drive. His rage has maintained. So he drives back to Quinn's, gets his rifle, and then gets in the car and comes back and shoots Jason on the steps of the fucking nightclub. Fucking hell. How mad do you have to be to like keep that level of anger up for like a 35, 40-minute round trip? Dude, you passed two McDonald's. You passed two McDonald's in that time. Like, oh, I could shoot a dude or I could get a McChicken. Dude, you gotta be gone. Club by good. Club good. The only podcast not sponsored by Manscaped. We're not the greatest beer proponent right now. This is very true. We're on the waters. I'm doing dry June and July. <laughs> What's brought this on? Bro, I, um, I had a night on the booze when we went to... Um, Besk. Yeah. And then I found myself, as Josh usually does, outside of a licensed establishment at a time that I should definitely not have been out. The only reason I didn't get in to said establishment, I'm not going to say the name on here because I don't want to give them any gas up. Mm. I don't carry an ID. Funny story about my ID, actually. So you know how like when it expires, you pay the renewal and they send you a new one? I got the new one and then I got the old one and I cut the old one up and threw it in the bin. And then went to put the, the new one away and realized that I've just cut up my brand new one <laughs> the day I got it. <laughs> so I went on there to try and like order a new one, thinking it would just be like, a, oh, you fucked up or you're, you know, you've lost your wallet or whatever. They'll send you a new one. No, they charge you like 40 bucks, 36 bucks really? for a new ID. So I was like, fucking guess I'm not having an ID then. Well, why don't you just keep your old, like, why didn't you, why did you cut it up? I don't know, stop like 18, 17-year-olds that look like me from trying to buy booze at a bottle shop or something. I don't know. It's just like, oh, I'll cut it up. I think it's because I didn't want to throw it in the bin because it's like, it's got all of your details on it. So like if it turns up in landfill, I don't know what you could do with an ID, but... Yeah, true. I suppose like I've just got mine. Like I was going through a box today because I've, I've lost my passport, like my British passport. It's expired. I just need to get it renewed before. Not. I don't really need to before I go away because my Australian one's valid. But I was trying to find my British one. And I've got a box. You got like a box of memories and just a box of things that you just like. I'm not going to throw that away. And there was three licenses in there. <laughs> <laughs> I had a funny one, Matt. Uh, I was in. I think I was away with you actually in like Europe or fucking yeah. I think in Europe. And Matt sent me a photo of my passport, my Australian passport. He's like, I have your passport and you're in Spain. Are you some sort of international man of mystery? And I just literally lost it. So I'd ordered a new one and there it was. But yeah, anyway, I cut up this fucking ID and then I didn't replace it. So now every time I go to a licensed establishment, I usually carry my passport. That being said, I'm a 37-year-old man, not getting off and asked for ID. But this establishment had Scantec. So um, it was like a, no, nah, you can't come in. So I was like, okay, cool. So I walked down the road and I went to another establishment, Hippie Club. And thankfully, the guy was like, you don't have an ID, you're not coming in. And I was like, cool. <laughs> I left. Fuck. At what point, this, this is a, definitely a good reason to do Dry July. Like, <laughs> going to the Hippie Club And not getting in. And not getting in. I like, didn't even know that I was still... 
now I live in Leeville. Uh, yeah, like yeah. I didn't even know that was still a place. Yeah, it still very much is a place. There was a couple of like footballers, Eagles, um, that got like caught in there on CCTV, like seven of them during the season, like four or five weeks ago or something. And they're all up shit creek. Um, so it's still very much a thing, still very dingy and still very much a place you don't want to be walking into at 1am, which is what I was about to do. So what ended up happening? I literally just uh, bailed and got an Uber and went home and fuck me, God bless, best decision I made. I didn't wake up like feeling shit at us by any stretch. I was actually okay. Um, but I went to training on Monday and I thought I was going to die. It's, it's it's amazing the the effect that alcohol has on the body and it's so blatantly obvious when you go training. It's so ridiculous because I think when I was younger, people would always be like, man, when as soon as you're in your 30s, like a hangover lasts this long. And it's just the most, it's just like, what the fuck ever. But there is definitely a science to it. Like I went out drinking, where did I go? I think it was after my, or the week after my birthday, I went out with um, my friend Zach, who's over from the States. We went out and got drunk. And I ended up with like the, the works, like fucking McDonald's, like 20 nuggets, <laughs> Big Mac meal. Like, and I've been eating real well. I've been on like the good program and stuff. I just fucking blew it all out. And um, I was fucked. I came into work on the Monday and I was like, eh, this isn't really happening. And then I woke up on the Tuesday. I was like, this still isn't happening. <laughs> And I was like, fuck it. So I just like worked my ass off Wednesday through Friday. <laughs> but I can't do it. Like, I don't, I think I've been drunk. We got drunk in Melbourne. That was like one, I think we got drunk in Melbourne like the first night when we went out with Finney. I just can't do it. I stopped, I kind of stopped doing it during club scene. Like I, st because we were working every Friday and Saturday night and booze was free. So I was like, don't. You can go down that path or you could make a decision not to. And I think Delby had kind of made a decision not to. And I was like, yeah, I'll go with that. So I used to drive there and stuff. But it just sort of carried on. I don't really drink much at all anymore. I, yeah. try, I probably drink the most when we're doing this podcast. Yes. Well, yeah, for sure. Um, I'm, I'm guilty. Like the 30 plus hangover thing has been relevant for me since I was about 19. I don't know what it is with me. You you know, you've seen me, but I could have like three beers one night and wake up like a train has hit me, like vomiting, can't get out of bed, headache, the whole works. And then I can drink 43 beers and wake up feeling completely fine. For me, there is, seems to be no science to it. It's just literally the devil rolling a fucking dice and being like, which one is how fucked up is Josh going to be tomorrow? Do you do the thing like someone was telling me the other week that the um, you have water, like if you have like a, a liter of water with like a teaspoon of salt before you go to bed, it like replenishes everything. And I am always just like, I'm going to fucking sleep. Like I'm passing out. Like I've never have the, I never have like the fortitude to actually go in and fucking actually drink the, you know, do the things that you're meant to. But I do that anyway. Like I, I go to sleep when I pass out. Like on a normal night like i've not i've got no ability to just go oh it's bedtime i'm gonna go and lie down and it just doesn't it's never worked for me mm. i don't know apparently it's like an adhd thing but i don't know maybe i've just never had to be that disciplined because i work for myself yeah look when i come home the last thing i'm thinking about is water the last thing you want to do for some reason even though you can drink like seven pints of beer 
why is a pint of water the hardest thing to get down humanly possible? Yeah, a McDonald's fucking Big Mac. Shit goes down perfectly. <laughs> the most forethought I've put into a drunken return to home is that I've grinded some weed before I left. <laughs> <laughs> That's about the extent of it. But yeah, the fucking training was was terrible, man. I've got like a heart rate monitor now that I'm wearing around my, my bicep. It's this little polar thing. It's so fucking sick. I love stats, you know, so whether it be sleep or whether it be exercise, it's cool to see like what happens. And my heart rate was in like the red zone for way longer than it usually is. Like my head felt like it was going to explode and it wasn't even like a, it was just a fundamentals class. Like it wasn't, it wasn't one of the advanced classes either. I just fucking died. <laughs> that You showed me some of the stats off that. That shit's crazy. Yeah. You're burning like a thousand calories. Yeah. Like a, that's insanity. Yeah. Hour and, hour and a half, hour and 40 minutes and you're dusting out like 1100 calories and you spend like of a hour and a half you're spending like 25 minutes in like zone five which is for me like 170 to 180 beats per minute so your heart's going fucking flat out that's fucking crazy man this is so weird i'm tony tony is gone i know and i already miss him i know so tony producer young tony is in um thailand um, doing some recon for a documentary that he wants to put together, which we can't say much about because he's scared that someone's going to steal his idea. But it's sick. But now we don't have a producer. So I, if you're watching this on YouTube, you will probably already recognize that I am just like, Josh has been talking and the camera's not on him. Like I'm controlling this shit myself. <laughs> so it's going to be weird for a while, but we'll get used to it. And then I go away in five weeks. Yeah. And Tony gets back like, two days after I go away. But you found a cool little program that'll do the switching for us, haven't you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have. I thought this was going to be so much easier. Than it's this. not though, is it? Because you're not. trying to think. We got to get a ring in. I think we can just get some ring in for the next couple just to press a button. Well, that's all it is. It's pressing a button. Maybe I'll just get used to this one and two thing. Yeah, I don't know if you will. It looks like it's taking a lot of brain power right now for you to get that going. Yeah, I'm fucking on the wrong one right now. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Oh, Jesus Christ. What's been going on anyway? Oh, not much, man. Working, fucking training, fucking... That's about it. I'm not uh, I'm not particularly exciting. I was trying to think about it on the way over here. You know, during the week, I often think to myself, oh, I should talk about this on the podcast. And then I just forget. It just disappears. It's gone. It's forever gone. That being said, it's probably not that important anyway. So if I've forgotten it. This is very true. It's been fucking weird, man, because I'm moving. So like I've got five weeks left and I've had this big conundrum where I'm like, I need to end the Airbnb and move out of the apartment that I rent into the Airbnb so that someone can house sit and look after my cat while I'm away. And it's just been the biggest load of mental fuckery. So I am pretty confident we're going to be able to dedicate like an entire podcast to my dealings with Facebook Marketplace in the next couple of weeks. Because <laughs> it has begun. I did it today. Like I was like, so I've decided, yeah, I'm going to get rid of the rental. And I've just, I just canned a bunch of people. Like it was like four people left that were staying in the Airbnb. I'm just like, due to unforeseen circumstances, there's going to be no more Airbnb here. Um, so now I can just move back in whenever, mm -hmm. but it's, yeah, it's turning into a nightmare because I've got two of everything. So I've got two, lots of couches. I've got two TVs, two fridges, two washers, fucking everything. 
So I was just like, okay, today I just went on Facebook Marketplace and just put the whole lot on there. And immediately it's just karma because I'm the worst. <laughs> I'm the worst buyer on Facebook Marketplace. I'm like, can you deliver it? You know, like, and people are just doing the same to me and I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> so yeah, if anyone wants to buy any entire fucking Ikea apartments worth of shit, hit me up. Marketplace is fucked, man. I selling some BMXs on there recently and I just, they're just so rude. It's like, the first message you send, I've got something up for like $300, say. The first message will be 40, question mark. And it's like, cunt, if you're going to lowball me, and that barely even classifies as a lowball, that is a, that, that's a fucking personal affront. At least have the decency to say, hey man, I don't have much money, but I love this. Do you reckon you could take 40? And in that case, I'd be like, I don't even fucking want this BMX. There's been cases where I have literally had things up on the internet and people have asked me for them, but they've been cunts, and I've thrown it in the bin out of spite. It's like, keep your 20 bucks. I'm throwing it in the bin. This is a real insight into your mind. <laughs> you I'm know a what, people person, eh? <laughs> you, know what the, you know what the thing is? For me, it's like, how much meth are you on? Like, that's what the question is. So mm-hmm. someone will be selling... I've done it with musical equipment so many times, and I'll be like... I'll just offer like half and then always say cash in the next hour. And that is just the question. It was like, how much do you need this money? And you see people get offended. People get really offended. Like, oh my God, I can't believe you would offer this. It's like, I don't care. But now, yeah, now it's coming back to me in a big way. That's a really good way. If you, um, if for, as a strategy for Facebook marketplace, if you really want to bargain, just look for the ads with the most methed out profile photos and shoot your shot. It's been a nightmare. Did I ever tell you I sold a couch? Did I tell you that? I sold a couch on... Um, I was trying to give it away for free because my, my cat had like scratched up the couch. And it was like a three-year-old couch and it was like two and a half grand or something. It's quite a nice couch. But yeah, Max had fucked it up. And it was just like one of the arms. So you could do like a throw rug over it sort of thing. But I was like, I know I'm not going to be able to sell this. So I put it on Facebook Marketplace for free. And I was like, anyone that wants it, you know, like I was getting a, I've got a one bedroom apartment. So I was getting a new couch delivered from Koala. I've got a fucking old couch there. I've got nowhere to put it. So I mapped this shit out. I'm like, I put it on for free. Like a week before I'm like, you can pick it up on this day. Hundreds, literally hundreds of people have hit me up. So I move it out onto the balcony in the middle of summer, which is a fucking pain in the ass anyway. And then the deal is that they just need to get it out of the apartment, but it's a free couch. And then I'm waiting on the, the new one to come. So I've moved it out. I've sort of set it up. And then the new one gets delayed, obviously. So I'm just like, fuck it. I'll just sit on a, a normal computer chair or something in my living room. Anyway, this woman, out of all the hundreds of people, I just randomly pick one. I'm like, yeah, look, it is what it is. This couch has got the cat scratches thing on it, but it's totally yours. She's like, oh, fantastic. And she's like, oh, I'll be round on Wednesday. Like, can, can you be home Wednesday? And I'll pick it up at like two o'clock. I'm like, no worries. So take the day off on Wednesday. Fucking two o'clock comes around, three o'clock, four o'clock. I'm like messaging her, getting nothing back. At 4.30, she's like, oh, are you still there? I was like, yeah. She's like, all right, I'll come now. Six o'clock comes by, nothing. And I message her, I'm like, 
what's going on? Like, I've just taken a whole day off to give you a fucking free couch. And she goes, oh, I saw it's got the cat scratches on it. Like I... <laughs> and I was like, are you fucking kidding me? And she said to me verbatim in the message, harden up, princess. <laughs> Triggered. I was fucking livid. I've got a name written down somewhere. That's on my list of things to do when terminally ill. <laughs> What's that fucking... You're just a dude on a fucking vendetta with cancer. Man, that's the plan. <laughs> I'm definitely going to like... I think... I, was, I said this to someone the other day. Like I've got a history of cancer in my family. So... I've got a history of cancer in my family. <laughs> so if that does pop up, like... I'm just going hunting. Go on the archer rampage. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm just going to be just, just like rampage, Lana. Yeah, anyone that's even been like accused of being a pedophile, it's just like <laughs> gone. Just better safe than sorry. Let's just get it out of the way. <laughs> that's too good. Someone said that to me the other day when I said that I was at lunch and I said that, and then they were like, "Oh, don't say that. Like you'll jinx, you'll jinx it. Like, like saying you're going to get cancer is going to give you cancer." It'll just be like a confirmation bias on the back end. I think if I did make it to like 75 and didn't get cancer, then I can be like, call that person up. <laughs> Sucked in, bitch. Yeah, well, it could work the other way. It's like, I say it, so then it doesn't happen. It's like, I'm not going to win lotto. It's like reverse psychology. True, but none of those make any fucking difference. If no. you think you can tilt the world's fucking likelihood by speaking something, I know like people have watched the fucking what is it, the secret and shit. Um, have you heard of manifesting, bro? It's a thing. <laughs> Look it up. You know what? That's just common sense though. Like if you have positive if you have a positive attitude, then you attract other you attract positive things, not necessarily like positive opportunities, because people will be like, Oh, that person was likable to be around like i want to be around them right but it's not like you sit in a fucking room with a picture of a lamborghini on the wall just like wincing <laughs> trying to make that shit happen that people are misreading this i know some people with some mood boards that probably believe that that's actually going to fucking help <laughs> man i think i i'm not against the mood board idea because the work that i do and the, the way that i the way that my mind collates things and makes things happen is by reference hunting, right? So I'll look at, if I'm doing a design for something, I'll look at a bunch of different things that are in the same sphere and that will be like, stay away from that. But you can see what the what's going on in that space and you're like, okay, well, there's competitors in this space and it kind of looks like this and the market will be comfortable with that. And then you look at other interesting things like other design trends, all this sort of stuff. And then when you have it all in front of you, you can kind of see a pathway. So... I think mood boarding, like reference hunting your life isn't necessarily a bad thing, but that's more so so you can see through. You can see through the bullshit and you actually have some sort of purpose and some sort of drive. It's like um, laying all your cards on the table sort of thing. So I'm not against that, but I just think people misread these things. It's like, and I feel like the, um, the secret is kind of the new Bible. Like, I think the Bible was like a bunch of stories that were meant to sort of teach you things. And there was little bits of, there was teachable moments within it. And people have just gone, no, it's literal. Like, this is exactly what happened. It was just a self-help book. It was a very fucking detailed self-help book. I was watching these things about, um, I watched this really awesome synopsis the other week on Community. Did you ever watch Sorry, Community? Sorry, I was just picturing like... 
<laughs> fucking Jesus time as Perseus's bookshop and some dude in sand was going in to buy the latest self-help book written by Moses or some shit. It's written on a stone tablet. He couldn't get it home. That's it. You're like, oh, the book of fucking John is coming out next week. I can't wait. <laughs> Netflix has picked it up. Dude, it's, it's all it is. It's the Bible season four. Story it's just a John. fucking, yeah, it's Game of Thrones. But I was watching this synopsis on. Um, I really get into synopsises of like. There's a there's a good uh, YouTube channel called Behind the Curtain, which I've I think I've spoken about yeah. with you before, and it's awesome. And I really get into that stuff. And there was this synopsis of Community, and that was Dan Harmon that did that does Rick and Morty and stuff as well. So he was he was involved in that show and, and wrote it and conceived it and everything. And then around about I think it was like season four or something, he got booted or he left there was like creative differences and he'd written all of these all of these things were were really intricately written but it, it was still a comedy show and you know like rick and morty's the same like it's got all of these deep ideas and layers yeah and i think the layman would look at it and say that's just a funny episode about them having a paintball fight at a school but there's all these other little stories going in and all the characters development has been done so that there's all these little interconnected things going on so when he left they did two seasons and it was a lot of episodes that were just had no depth but they were just based on a on a bizarre concept which is what on surface level maybe some of the previous seasons were but because they weren't the, the viewer was aware of the depth involved and they could just spot the difference immediately to the point that they did two seasons without him and then he came back and did two more and it finished really strongly. But they were saying that the the one story in in this thing, it was very convincing and I'm, I'm not going to do it any justice, but there's one story that's told essentially in cinema or in any modern sort of Western storytelling and it's the story of someone having a... not being happy with their life or feeling lost of direction or lost in who they are and then they go so they leave they leave where they where they are and they go on a journey and that's their sort of character arc and it's like they go to a place that is less comfortable they to try and find themselves you know and then they overcome adversity by doing that they have this awakening where they know themselves better and then they return to where they started and realize that it wasn't the place that had to change, but it was them. And that's the basis of like a lot of modern storytelling. And I found, I found it fascinating because that's like, I mean, essentially it's the precipice of what I'm trying to do at the moment, like go away, be uncomfortable, try and figure these things out. But it's just like the most standard ass thing that you can do. I suppose the opposite of that is just sitting still and staying where you are and just wallowing. Which is a good option too sometimes. It's not a terrible option. I don't mind wallowing. So have you got any plans for like <clears throat> your first two weeks when you get away? Um, not really. Like I've got, I've, I've, the things, things have started taking shape now as far as like who's going to house sit for me and shit like that. So that stuff's all underway and that's good so that's sorted um and that was weighing on me a bit and there's a fair bit that needs to be done before i go away um i had a really lucrative contract that was paying me tons of money 
that is now ceased to exist. It's not ceased to exist, but it's there's a tech startup, so they've slowed down because the um, crypto crypto market fun. has just bottomed out, and no one's going to launch a new product within that. So fortunately, I saved a bunch of money and stuff like that. So there's there's no real drama there. But it did look like it was going to be something that would carry through while I was away. Um, but now it just means that I'll pick up other work and continue doing things. So it's definitely not the end of the world. Have you have you thought consciously around like behaviors and I suppose not taking ingrained behavior from Perth with you into this kind of new ecosystem? Because, you know, it's all well and good to, and I'm not, I'm not saying you would, I'm just like literally spitballing here, but um, you could just pick up your life in one place and then copy paste into a new place. And the only thing that changes is the environment. Have you come up with a plan yourself around things you're going to try and do to like be different? Yeah. I was thinking about that. Cause that kind of is what happened in Melbourne. Um, when I got to Melbourne, you know, like I just, just, I was going to the gym every day. I was like cooking, I was buying groceries. I was going to a studio and doing stuff. And I found that like, I kind of wrote all a bunch of stuff down as I was flying home where I was like, you're going to have to put yourself out more than that. You know what I mean? Like it was a very easy thing to do. I had friends there and stuff, but you know, the day still ends and you're still like, um, I just go home and fucking watch Netflix or, or do whatever. I mean, that was the span of thrown in the works by getting the flu pretty bad when I was there. So I was like pretty, pretty much homebound anyway, but yeah, moving into this situation, with London, I'm going to go out. I think I'm going to like go out of my way to be social and to be doing things um, and making plans and stuff like that. Even late, like even in the last sort of year since I've been single, like you realize that if you don't make plans, you don't do anything. When I was younger, it was like shit just popped up and I was always a, um, I was always a person that, was ready to do something at the drop of a hat, you know, like spontaneity. And I quite liked that. It was quite exciting. But spontaneity is not that easy when you're older and your friends are older because everyone has like responsibilities and has things and spontaneity stresses people out as well. It doesn't stress me out. I'm like, I think you messaged me last week. You're like, you come for a drink tonight. I was like, let's go. You know, like I'm happy to be sort of... um, yeah, seat of my pants on stuff, but I definitely feel like unless you go out of your way to make some plans or make some things happen, just being somewhere is not going to be enough. So I need to get to London and yeah, make some, make some sort of definitive plans. Mm. And I've been doing good recently. Like I've done, like I've just done three, I just finished three, three months on this like sort of new like workout and health program and stuff and i stuck to it and it's done really well so i'm really happy about that so i'm like that was planned that was something that i did there's something i showed up for so i i'm looking at that and i'm like okay well i obviously want to keep that going but let's also add in some other elements to that you know like even if it's i want to work on a bunch of music when i'm in london so hitting up people that i know over there or just getting into the sort of scene there and speaking to people and and make and networking and making friends and stuff and putting myself in positions where like i'll go and work on music with people and stuff like that Mm -hmm. 
Um, I'm going to do a couple of side missions while I'm there. Um, I spoke to my cousin, and he's got season tickets for United, and he's away for the start of the season, so I'm going to go to a few matches, which is going to be really good. And I want to go to Paris to see a PSG game. Um, and I think I'm going to go to Barcelona, because I imagine that English summer is just going to bum me out anyway. And I've, I love Barcelona. I went with you. It's and you can speak fluent Spanish. Come on. Hamilton Kesa. Puffable. Bang. If I, man, if all I want to eat while I'm there is ham and cheese. Toasty. Ham and cheese toasties? It's literally just ham and cheese. Harmonic waste. Okay, so I can just eat ham and cheese. Yeah. 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 And say thank you. I think you say that when you're like pointing at like a sandwich or croissant that happens to be containing that and then they would they would understand what we're talking what about. Was it? it was like ham on queso, um La Quinta. La Quinta Por favor. La Quinta is asking bill. for the bill, yeah. I'm good. It's so good. That's what I said. It's fluent. Spanish. <laughs> Rosetta Stone. Just going to La Bocchiera and buying a bunch of cured meats. Living like a local. Love that vibe. Yeah, so I'm going to make some plans around that sort of stuff. And like, but you're exactly right. Like, I, at the moment, you can't just throw yourself somewhere and expect everything's going to be fine. You need to actually, I'm not, I'm not trying to go there with too much expectation. I'm just trying to go there and like feel it out. And like, one thing I was happy about with the Melbourne trip was that I did do it as sort of a copy paste in the sense of like could i live here and it was like yep i could but do i want to it's not really doing anything for me you know what i mean so this is a longer trip i'm going to be away for six weeks um the plan was to go to the world cup but i fucking i didn't get the tickets the uh i went in the ticket lottery i'd never done that before and rejected on all fronts that's a bummer so no qatar for me that is a bummer but I might go to the States, I think. I might go to the States in sort of September. Because what I would like to do, ideally what I would like to do is work out, like put Melbourne, London and New York against each other, maybe LA, and then make that decision in January. And I, I don't want to go to like New York in winter and then make that fucking decision. I'd rather do it in like spring which means being away more. But I mean, even here, like talking about it now, New York's going to fucking win. I just can't get a visa. Well, I can, I can get, I'm sure I could get a visa, but it's, it's harder, right? Like I can just walk into London and be like, put me on the door. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Welfare. Well, at least you got a plan. Sounds like it's going to work. Worst case another experience to chalk up isn't it exactly and yeah i figured out a way that we can um i figured out a way that we can do the podcast while i'm there which mm -hmm. is cool so i've got that pretty much completely sussed dope probably better than this and my shitty button pressing automated ai oh man so i did the um i started telling the airbnb stories on your instagram yeah, I went to, um, I had to go, my, my cleaner is a fucking legend. She's, she's really cool. She, she moved here back from Melbourne during COVID and she's like 35 probably. Um, she might be young. I'm sorry. She listens. Um, 
and yeah, moved back here. Was everything was in disarray? Moved back with her husband, and was like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, just clean apartments and stuff. Puts headphones on. She's like totally fine with it. She's like, I can't. It's not like I'm going to start a yoga studio up here. We don't know if we're going back to Melbourne. This and that. Anyway, she's bounced. She's in New Zealand now, and she's really cool. So I was like yo, I'm, I'm happy for you. She was like, I, I feel like I just need to go. I was like, that's cool. It left me in the lurch as far as like needing a new cleaner. And I think I had like a month worth of bookings left. So I was like, I'll just do it myself. And I did two of them and then I just canceled everyone. <laughs> so I was sitting in there the other day waiting for the, um, the guests to check in. And they were, yeah, they just mis miscalculated how long it took to drive back from Margaret River. So they're like, oh, we'll be there in half an hour. And then I spoke to them and they said, oh, we're in Dunsborough at the moment. I was like, Jesus oh, fucking fuck Christ. Sake. Um, so yeah, I was just sitting in that apartment just kind of reminiscing on all of the fucking trauma that's happened in there. And I just started writing those stories. And I have never, like I've had viral songs go out. I've never had that many fucking, that many messages and that many DMs in my life. So now it's become a little bit of a thing because I've got so many of them. But they take so long to write because I need to go back through and like find the photos and do all this sort of stuff. But it's hilarious. And I think there's like a show. I think there's like a Netflix show or something in there for real. <laughs> <laughs> because think about all of the crazy shit that people would have had happen around the world that have rented out their Airbnbs. Like yeah. mine have been relatively funny and relatively harmless, but there's definitely been some dead bodies showing up in some, uh, some Airbnbs. Fuck, I can... Yeah, I'd love to hear from people who have fucked up Airbnb stories or if you've been somewhere and done something fucked up in an Airbnb. That'd be sick. We're researching that shit right now. Yeah. Like, for real. I've, I actually spoke to a friend of mine that lives in LA and I was like, do you know any producers that work on, like, Netflix shows and stuff? And they were like, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to try and... Like, I re I'm really going to, like, do some research into it because there's a full thing. Like, and Netflix is dog shit. Like, they're dying for content right now. It's a show about nothing. <laughs> <laughs> It'll never work. Yeah, I'd be down to star in that. But yeah, it made me, I ended up reading back through some like reviews that I'd left and like just various, there is so many. It's <laughs> fucking crazy. But yeah, the one with the, um, the one with the, I, I told the one the other night with the guy that had the AFL grand final party mm -hmm. and had hookers and stuff. Mm -hmm. And he was just like so quick to pay. Oh fuck yeah! Because his his profile was with his wife and his kid, and then all the reviews were like such a lovely family. And then I just messaged him. I was like, dude, I know exactly what you've been up to. My apartment is fucked. I think it would have cost me about twelve hundred bucks to replace the stuff. And I was like, yeah, thirty six hundred dollars or something. <laughs> and he was just like, paid. That was pretty much extortion. Hey man, fuck that guy. Fuck that guy indeed. <laughs> Fuck that guy. I mean, you go into someone's home. It's Airbnb. It's like it's like a fucking it's like an Uber. You're not going to go into someone's Uber and just like fucking pop bottles and spray it all over the back of the seat and spit on the floor. Some of them already smell like someone has, but um, you just got to respect people's shit. And if you fuck around like that, and if you're dumb enough to have your personal situation advertised on the internet, then you deserve to be fucking rorted. Exactly. You know what, though? As an Airbnb former super host, I got a very bad review for our fucking spot in Melbourne. Eh? Did you? Man, I had to leave early because I, I left a day early because I had to fly to Sydney. And 
I just wasn't that fucking organized, to be honest with you. So I was kind of cleaning up and yeah, I bought him like a good fry pan and like a spatula, just like stuff that wasn't in the apartment. It didn't have a microwave. Yeah. I didn't buy a microwave. But um, yeah, I was just packing up and there was like a couple of shirts and stuff that I was like, eh, they can st-, like, because I bought a couple of things. And, you know, I put the rubbish in the bin and stuff like that, but I just left a couple of bits around the place and I hadn't like cleaned. I tidied, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the bed was made and stuff like that. But he was, um, he was pretty upset with me. He was upset. What did yeah. he say? He said that he was surprised that it was left in such a poor state. Like, oh, right. I don't actually know what my um, star rating is for guesting. Well, I hope you fucking left an equally scathing review on him. Because if you remember, we walked in there and the fucking toilet wasn't clean. The bathroom was fucking, there was shit everywhere. That's true. There was still pubes all over the fucking floor. I was not impressed. So tell yeah, man. shit. I didn't, I missed the period to send him a review. Damn it. Because the way that it works is like, you can only read their review after after you've done one as well. Right. Or it's like a, I think you get seven or 10 days or something. And then that's it. Well, look, fuck that guy anyway. Deal with it. (laughs) But yeah, let us know. Like, I would love to hear some people's Airbnb stories. 100%. I've heard some fucking crazy ones. 100%. I was, uh, I think we're in like fucking... Uh, baby shower season at the moment. I think everyone's getting pregnant. Maybe it's like a byproduct of COVID. But I was thinking, because I keep seeing these photos pop up, and um, I was thinking, like, whenever you have a baby shower and you're a female, there seems to be this prerogative that you must take a photo with the woman who's pregnant and you must be touching her belly. Even if it's quite far away, you'll still see. Extended arm. Yes, we know she's pregnant. She's clearly pregnant. What's with the hand thing? Can someone please message us and tell us what the fuck is the, 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 the urge that goes on inside your brain to be like, this is what I need to do. And it made me think, like, what's some other shit that we do? Like, there's dudes in photos that are always fucking putting up their fists like they're a boxer. That's equally strange. True. But I just, I've just seen a lot of these baby shower recently and they're all, there's always the mum in the middle and their four best friends around them and they're all got their little hands on their stomach. It's like, hey guys, there's a baby in here. We know. It's like, yeah, the, the sign says, the baby shower <laughs> sign. And what's with the toxic femininity of not letting dudes go to baby showers? Did you know that? The baby showers are a female thing for females only? Um... I would like to see any male who would like to disagree with that. It's like, you can't come to the baby shower. Oh, okay. I want to go to the baby shower. <laughs> you do? It's like a thing. I don't know. The gender reveal is a new one, right? Like, that's the new one where people are like, that seems to be the one that is on fucking Look, the internet so much. I'd never even heard of that before. If I wanted a fucking mimosa and a donut that's attached to a board with pegs on it or something, I'm sure I could get one easier with less overhead than having to go to a baby shower. I'm fine with it being female only. You know what's crazy though? Because like, girls have hen's nights and they're fucking penis wild. Eh? Penis straws. It's just like girls gone wild. Like, And I know a bunch of girls that have been to or organized like hen's nights. I remember my sister-in-law, she was organizing a hen's night for her best friend. And she's like, can you dot the invitation for me? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, we'll do it we'll do something cool and like i was quite excited because we get along really well and she came around and this was years ago and i was like yeah you know it's going to be 
like what sort of style do you want like you don't obviously don't want like fucking just dicks everywhere and stuff and she's like oh no like i want dicks everywhere so it was just like an animated penis like inviting you to it was hilarious and then there's always you know like males male strippers or they they will draw or paint a picture of like you know like a nude model and things like that yep whereas the majority of box parties that i've been to in recent times and i've organized a few have been stripperless i've been to some which aren't and i've been to some which are fucking wildly hardcore and i went to one recently where it was like pretty much a sex show and there was a band playing <laughs> A bunch of dudes I knew were playing, like, sort of 80s hair metal covers. The perfect accoutrement to a sex show. Man, Some it was crazy. And I said, my brother was there and I said to him, I was like, this is fucking wild. And he just looked at me and he was like, oh, you never played footy. He goes, this is just a standard footy wind-up, like, thing. And I was like, makes sense. So this, this, is, this is a kind of hot take, but... Not a hot take, because I know you'll absolutely agree with me, and probably the majority of people listening would agree with me, but Bucks Nights suck cock. Hugely. It is the worst party you could go to. Imagine you and your boys ready for a big night out in the town, going to a party. You roll up. There's 35 dudes there, generally older and seedier, and two girls. You have to pay the girls to be there, and you definitely can't have sex with them. That, to me, sounds like the quintessential shittest party ever con- concocted. It's crazy. So why the fuck do we still do it? And why do we have to pay $150, $190 for the privilege? I've been to some which, are, like, some which are good, but they always just revolved around heaps of drugs. Like, it was like, no strippers, but everyone was like, you know, you'd get like an area at a nightclub or something, and like, when we were young, and it was just super fun. Like, it would, you'd just have like... That I think it was like more reminiscent of the big. You were kind of trying to relive one of the biggest nights you could all have together. And I I've, and we've had some. I've, I've been to some really fun ones, but when it comes to strippers, I am fucking wildly uncomfortable around strippers. Not in the sense of like I'm awkward because I'm like I feel like I should be apologizing. You know, like at that one, for example that the strippers would come around and I'd just be having a conversation with someone and they'd be able to see that I didn't have a drink. And I think their whole kind of thing is to like serve you drinks while naked. And they'd be like, oh, can I get you a drink? And I'm like, oh, it's okay, I'm not drinking. And then they feel like they had to like... Because they're, they're trying to make the party work, right? Like they're trying to make people excited and like be like, oh yeah, like come on, let's get, do drinking games and do all this sort of stuff. I'm like, oh, I'm not really into it. Like, it's all good though, thank you. Like, you can talk to someone else. But as you said, like, there's no, like, relationship start there in, in any sense. There's no, like, oh, I'm going to fucking be friends with you moving forward or something. It's just, it's this is just an awkward exchange. Yet, I do see some people really thrive in it. Like, I see some people just be, like, some dudes that are, I don't know, maybe if you're, like, married and you're just trying to get, like, a, a fucking night off from your life. You're just like, I just want to see some chicks. I want to drink some beer. But it's like, this is not where I'm at. You know what I mean? Like if I really wanted to go and meet attractive girls that I might be able to sleep with, I'd probably go to a bar. I'm not going to go, like, as you said, go to a fucking Bucks party. You're guaranteed that that's, you're, you're going home alone. You know what I mean? <laughs> I actually, um, I, I hosted a Bucks night once at my house. And, I was there. Uh, 
Oh, you were too. I actually ended up dating one you of those did. girls for a while. You've completely, completely <laughs> diminished my idea of what this is. Yeah. Best night ever. <laughs> She's actually lovely. I remember. Whose box party was it? Steve Jones. That's right. And I was like, fuck, it's always shit because there's like 30 dudes and like two girls. So I was like, fuck it. I got like nine, nine women. <laughs> I was like, there's going to be at least plenty to look at. And it was actually a fun night, but that was probably because of like Steve Jones taking all of his clothes off and running down the road, whipping someone with a tree that he pulled out of the ground. That's actually a funny story. So the girls are there. And then as with most Bucks nights, there is a girl that comes later to do like a show, right? So Steve Jones has gotten completely declothed. He's just in his little box of briefs. And he's a skinny little rabbit, but he's, he's ripped a tree out of the ground and it's like really thin and whippy. And he's run off down the road chasing someone with this tree. As this woman has pulled up in the car, Steve Jones in his underwear with a tree has just come running past the car. She's literally texted my friend who organized it and said, there is no fucking chance I'm coming in there and then just drove off. Nice. She got a real taste for what it was going to be like. Yeah. So then my friend, who is very um, resourceful, found another girl and got her to come. She was uh, a little bit more, um, I suppose, accepting of the of the debaucherousness. And she came, but then Jones refused to be involved in it whatsoever. So props to him. My dad stepped up, put a set of PPE safety glasses on him, and off we went. <laughs> Dude, it's wild. Like, I, I find the concept of it really weird. It's like, you date someone for a long time and then you probably settle down somewhat because you were partying heaps when you were single, when you were younger. And then you're like, I love you. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. You go look at some dicks. I'm going to get a fucking weird strip show. And... We'll meet back Societally, in the middle. Societally, <laughs> we're going to be okay with this. Like, it's very fucking strange. Yeah, if you're an alien or an outsider looking in, you'd be like, what the fuck are these people doing? It's just a weird thing that sort of, that just kept going. But it is, I think within that, like, especially in modern society, it's like, you know, toxic masculinity, there's all these things. It It is almost like the the deepest dive into that. It's like, everyone goes, oh, okay, you can do that, but only on that night. And then for the women, it's like, you can do that, but only on that night. The weirdest thing is, though, that I know a couple of dudes that have been strippers. And they have said to me that they have a huge amount of fucking trouble trusting women. Oh, yeah. Uh, On hen's nights, from what I've heard, they go like, it's like a red mist. It's like a cock mist. (laughs) Well, these guys are like, man, I see girls like getting like picked up by their husbands or by their boyfriends and they've just fully slept with a stripper or like... Well, see, that's the crazy thing because... And that's the difference between men and women. Men go into a strip show or a strip club for the majority of the time knowing that they can't fuck the strippers. Mm. But women can go in and if there's a stripper, if you're a good-looking woman, there's a very high probability you could bag a stripper if you wanted to. 
And that's that's the difference. We go in with zero power. Girls go in with some fucking serious power. So, well, in that situation, women have power anyway, right? Because I'm um, like in the, the situation with someone. Like, if if for the guy's point of view, like you're paying for a stripper, you're paying for a lap dance, you're paying for all these things, and no matter what your desires are, it's like unless you're willing to pay, it's not. So the power, the balance of power, is definitely in the hands of the woman there and then in the other side of it i suppose from what i gathered from speaking to friends that had done the stripping stuff they're like they're fucking ravenous like he's like they'll just be just just lose their shit he's like it's like nothing you've ever seen before and then they can pretty much if they want to hook up with people they can it's fucking wild well there's another there's another question for our avid female listeners if you've seen some wild shit at a, at a hen's night, let us know. It can be totally anonymous. We won't mention any names. We're very respectful. But I'd love to hear about the goings-on of the, well, the hen's I night. Well, I heard one. Ooh. And I'm not going to mention any names or any context. But there was a girl that went to her friend's hen's night and slept with the stripper. And then she got engaged a few months later to the dude that she was with. And then contacted the person who organized the hands night that she'd previously been to to try and get the same stripper at her hands night. Wow. Why the fuck are you getting married? <laughs> Just don't. Just don't. It's far easier. It's if I'm getting want. married, I am like, this is what I want and this is how I want my life to be. Man, as you get older, like, you realize when you're a fucking teenager or even into your 20s, you're like, it's not about what you people know about. It's about what you've done. Like, if you do some shady shit, you carry that and it fucking weighs on you so much that it's, like, unbearable. It's like fucking movies about it. Like, so many movies about it. And I have never fucking slept with someone while I'm dating someone else. The weight of that would be absolutely fucking insane. Like the weight that you would carry around for that. But that's why this stripper thing was crazy. And people are going to disagree with this and like, I'm not trying to fucking trigger anyone. But from what I've been told by people in that industry, they can just fucking do that shit and then just be stone-faced and be fine with it. And just move on. as It's like compartmentalized. It's a totally different thing. Wow. Whereas I think dudes need to um, confess. <laughs> We're terrible liars, perhaps. True. <laughs> or you just carry that. You can't. You can't put it. You can't put it in a different fucking thing. Eventually, it just consumes you. It definitely will. Yeah, you're right. So we got a few questions from listeners. One being a guy called Elijah. Uh, he said, "Josh, you mentioned before how you did half a marketing degree and then got into sales. I'm about to do the same thing. Uni is a scam." Can you talk about that process? Sure. <laughs> sure, Elijah. <laughs> um, Dear Josh. I 100% agree with him in that uni is a scam um, for, certain, for certain things, right? Like, so marketing, for example, I think it's a scam. It's common sense. Um, arts degrees, common sense. Business degrees, mostly common sense. If you want to be a doctor, go to uni. Absolutely. If you want to be a dentist, go to uni. This is a specific set of skills you need to do that TAFE can't 
can't cover, go to university, no problems. But if you want something different, I think it's a, I think it's a fucking pyramid scheme. But I, when I left school, I didn't have like a gap year or anything. Um, and I went to Wesley, like a private boys' school. Um, and we weren't a rich family. Like my dad really busted his ass to send me to that school. It was expensive as fuck. So there was like a, there was a expectation, I suppose, not verbalized, but. I definitely felt a, a, a weight of expectation on me to actually do do well at school. And I did. Like, I think I got 89 in my TER, which isn't terrible. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, my dad was like, well, you got to go to uni. Because um, dad thought I was going to be a fucking lawyer or a physiotherapist or something. Because um, that's, that's what successful people did. They finished school and they went to uni. So... I went straight into Notre Dame and I did biomedical science uh, with the hope that that would be a bridging course into physiotherapy. A year through biomed, I was like, this is fucking not for me. So then I had to leave uni and go to Murdoch where I was like, I'll do a marketing degree. Because again, my dad was like, you got to go to fucking uni. So um, I went and did a marketing degree and, you know, nearly two years into that, I was like, this is fucking balls, boring as shit. I fucking hate it. I've got better things I want to be doing. Um, this is not for me. So that was at that point where I was like, fuck, I want to go to Canada. So remember I told that story in here, yep. fucking off to Canada. So when that all fell to shit, I'd come back, um, with no job and, with some credits at university. So it was either go and get a job or go back to uni. My dad was actually the managing director of a, of like an IT company at the time. And he was like, come and work for me for a while and we'll see how you go. Um, you can build up some money and then go back to uni when you're ready. I was like, cool, no worries. So I went and worked, worked for this IT company in sales as a business development executive. And, um, and I loved it. Like it was, it was a vibe. I got to wear a suit all every day. And, you know, to me, that was like, you, that's what you, that's what like rich people did, right? They wore a suit and went to the city. I was working at like on William street. It was dope. And, um, I was actually really good at it. So <clears throat> that was kind of like me falling into the sales environment and then discovering that I enjoyed it. Um, in terms of process, for me, there was zero thought, zero planning put into it. Just typical Josh, just flying by the seat of my pants. Um, I had no interest in going into sales, quote unquote. It's just kind of where I ended up and I discovered I was okay at it. Um, but now, I'm still good at it. Just don't like it all that much. <laughs> mm. It's not as challenging anymore. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, because I, I don't think I've told this story on here before, but... I was studying, like, no one in my family had been to uni. And I didn't get a good TER score. So I was seeing a girl in, like, year 12. It was like my friend had been dating a girl and then I started dating her. Nightmare. Nightmare scenario. I was just simping my way through the end of high school. And um, she gave me the runaround and I just, like, didn't really apply myself to studying or anything like that. And I was typical... Um, fucking undiagnosed ADHD. Like you look through the things, it was like needs to apply himself. Like is super intelligent, but doesn't put the work in, sort of thing. And it wasn't that I didn't put the work in; it was that I don't study in the same way that other people. I, I don't retain information in the same way. So I 
got, I think I got like 69 or 70 or something like that. So it wasn't enough to get into uni. And then I left, I left school and I was like, surely I'm going to figure out what I want to do. But I had absolutely no idea. So I was like, I opened, I, I read the book, like the, the careers book. And it just says like, it was just like a yellow pages of jobs really. And I was like, oh man, it'd be sick to be a private detective. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember talking to my dad and he was, I was like, oh, it doesn't make much money. And he said, he goes, you don't think about money at all. He goes, you, if you can be happy in what you do, you're going to be happy. And that was like really good advice, obviously. Um, But then I was like, you know what? let's think about this and let's really shoot for what would be what I think would be a great job. And I grew up watching football with dad, like English soccer, which we spoke about before. And at the time they'd overdubbed the commentary with Australian commentary for for particular games. And it was fucking terrible, really, really bad. People just had no idea what they were talking about. And I was like, I want to be a fucking football commentator. My cousin was the um, editor of a magazine called 442 in the UK, which was really popular. So and we had the same last name and stuff. So I was like, I was just football mad. And I was like, what could I do to do that? So I found a TAFE course that was called Broadcast Presentation. And I went and studied broadcasting. So I learned how to like, it was like a one-year course full-time um, in Northbridge. And it was for people that wanted to be like presenters in entertainment and stuff like that. But I wanted to be in essentially radio right like because i just wanted to do voiceover stuff at the time and it was literally it wasn't like a huge passion it was just like i need to do something and i just don't really know what the fuck i'm going to do and i'll i think i knew even back then i was like if i start on some sort of path i'll figure it out so i started doing that and it was pretty enjoyable like but what they did was that it was like a, a relatively broad course so they taught you how to use some video editing software like adobe premiere and then they also taught you how to use basic photoshop to make like thumbnails and things like that so it was my first intro into using photoshop and i didn't have any interest in that stuff but it taught me how to use it at a really base level and at that time i was playing in bands so i was like making flyers designing bits for our band because we didn't have any money we couldn't afford to pay anyone And then all the rest of the people were doing, you know, all the rest of the bands were trying to do shows as well. I figured out how to book shows because that was the only way I could get my band on shows. So it was kind of the impetus of what ended up being like putting on club nights and parties and stuff like that. So all these little, the nucleus of all these things was formed there. Anyway, I was working, I was just working at a surf store um, at the time doing retail and I'd been doing, yeah, just tiny like flyer designs and stuff. But I'd started putting on a couple of shows and the one thing that you needed sort of money for was printing. So you print like A3 posters and then you go and stick them up around like different rehearsal rooms and like universities and stuff like that. Um, And it was quite expensive to do. So I was dealing with like snap printing and stuff like that. Anyway, I'm working in this fucking surf store in Morley and this guy comes in and I was quite good at sales like you like I was just it was very easy because surf stores at the time were fucking the coolest stores and 
it taught me so much about life just working in there because I was relatively awkward in talking to like attractive people when I was when I was sort of in my early 20s um because if I go to a bar or something I'd see like a good looking girl like I wouldn't really be like I don't I, I can't go up and talk to you but when you're in the surf shop those people were coming in to buy stuff and you were helping them so you had to talk to them and then they didn't laugh at you or act weird towards you they were just you, you were on totally the same level and I was like this is fucking crazy like I'm speaking I'm, I'm just getting I'm learning how to fucking talk to people and I'm learning self-confidence and all this sort of stuff like it was really formative for me and then this guy came in older guy probably in his sort of 50s early 50s at the time and he had a um he had like a a button-up shirt on with a printing company logo on it called quick color print and i'm chatting to him and he wants to buy a pair of pants and i'm like i talk him into buying a couple of pairs of pants or something like that and we we just hit it off you know we're just having a laugh and he goes oh I said, what do you do? What's, and he goes, I own this printing company. And in my head, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to finesse this into getting cheap printing out of this guy. So I was like, let's do, you know, I was like, oh, whereabouts is the printing company? I'm a graphic designer and I have, I do flyers and all this for shows and I need to get some printing done. So maybe I was like, I could give him some sort of a discount. He'd give me one. And he said, oh, really? He goes, I just had a graphic designer quit. I really need someone. We're in a bit of a spot. Would you come and work for me? I'm not a graphic designer. There is no, I have no fucking knowledge in graphic design. I just know how to use base Photoshop. I know how to use Photoshop at a lesser level than almost anyone listening to this does now. Like, I didn't know what a vector was. I didn't know how to do pre-pre. I didn't know anything full stop i just knew how to make something look okay on the screen oh i thought it looked okay but i didn't know what it was what i was doing um and for some reason i was like yep i can do that and i quit my fucking job <laughs> because i knew i didn't want to be there anyway like i was like i'm not gonna they kept offering me like management positions in retail and i was like no chance like i know but i knew that like i by that time i think i i started I'd gone on from TAFE to uni, but I'd only just started. I, I was just really not really sure what I wanted to do. And um, so I had 10 days between that conversation and then going in for my like meeting with them. And I was like, well, over that 10 days, I'll just download these programs and figure this shit out. And um, they'd said to me, they said, oh, what programs do you use? And I said, Photoshop and Illustrator, which I didn't. And they said, oh, well, we use CorelDRAW, but it's really similar. And I was like, yeah, no problem. So my idea was like, I'll learn CorelDRAW. But instead, I just fucked off and like hung out. It was middle of summer. I was like hanging out with a girl I was dating. Just going to the beach, just living it up. And then, so I rocked up on the first day with no more knowledge than what I had when I just lied about being a designer. And I got in there and um, they were like, oh, cool. We'll show you how to use Photoshop. And I was designing business cards. So like companies would come in, they already had their logo and stuff. I'd design business cards. And it's really fucking easy. Like anyone could learn how to do it in two seconds. And that was predominantly what that company did. And then it was like start designing flyers and then do some logos and stuff like that. And I ended up working there for like nine months and learned an absolute ton. Like I learned all the base fundamentals of like graphic design of just, just how to design, not not how to design something because I already knew that that wasn't hard. Like you look at stuff, it's like 
you want to design a t-shirt with a fucking box logo on it measure it put it on a fucking t-shirt send it to it it's not hard like so i was always like pretty pragmatic in that sense but then i'd learned enough and the band that i was in started to get offered small tours and stuff and i could see how much money i was bringing in for the company that they weren't even actually a part of it like i'd meet the client i'd get the client i'd upsell them i'd do all that and i i figured out the whole way it worked and i thought i could just do this for myself like the company that i'm working for doesn't have a big enough name that anyone really cares um so yeah i started so, so after nine months i started think tank as a professional graphic designer <laughs> which is just a joke and then i had to make it work and then from there i did you know like i made that whole fucking thing work but you never know where your career is going to where your career is going to come from or what moment is going to sort of be that sliding doors moment where you go from not knowing what you want to do. And I think at the time when I did that, I was 23 or 24 and I was getting pretty scared that I didn't know what I was going to do. Mm. And like that was around the time of the sort of mining boom starting as well. So like a lot of people were getting sucked into that and buying like house and land packages and making money and doing stuff. So it was like, I could, I don't think I would have ever done that, but in my head I was like, if it all turns to shit, that's probably what I'm going to end up doing. Yeah, you just got to be open to opportunity, hey? Totally. Not, not be scared about not knowing fuck all. I mean, when I went into sales, it was in IT, and it's like enterprise-level IT. I was selling co-location, which is essentially like a data center. So companies will put their server infrastructure, switching infrastructure, into a rack in a data center instead of having it in their business because we can supply, you know, permanent power and, um, like, fire suppression and all the rest of it. Um, it was kind of pre-cloud days, but um, I didn't know what the fuck a rack was. But I knew, like, this was a rack and this is how much it cost and I could pretend. That's and all you need to do. eventually you just stop pretending. Because and you, you know it. You realise you know it. Yeah. And here you are. You just never know, man. Like, you never know what is going to be the thing that you end up doing. And you can always retrain and you can always change and stuff. But I say this to people all the time. Like, if you want to study, like, if you want to be a designer or you want to be, like, a filmmaker or you want to be a musician or you want to be, you know, if, if you want to be anything in that sort of creative field, which is what I'm obviously in, practicality, like, Learning the actual practical stuff is not, it's, it's never fucking hard. There's YouTube tutorials or there's friends that will, that will show you how to do something. What happens is you pick up enough that you end up, you end up figuring it out. It's like, like doors, little doors open to bigger rooms. That's the best way to describe it. So like you'll be learning how to do something and you'll be like, okay, I want to design a poster. And as you're designing a poster, you'll realize that like, the fundamentals of what you're doing is actually designing. If, if you made that into a multiple page thing, then that's a brochure or that's a book. And then you realize that you can add motion elements to that. And then so in all of these things, they just, they just snowball. And then suddenly, you know, all of this stuff because you have to know it. You have to have figured out how it fucking happened. You know? Hey, what's up? Yeah. And it's like, that's the, that's the only fucking way. Going to like university for that, it's just a fucking waste of time because you are going to learn the fundamentals and you're going to learn the basics and stuff like that, but they're not going to teach you practical 
use of those or they are going to teach you a whole bunch of shit that doesn't really matter and it's going to cost you a fucking ton of money they'll teach you how to use the tools and the tools are important don't get me wrong like understanding how to manipulate an image that's going to reflect what you're trying to make it do is is difficult and that it's it's a skill but it's something that you can learn because skills can be learned what's important i think especially in design and to a degree even what i do is is um fostering your own point of view fostering your own perspective because that's the part that's going to come out in your work and that's the part that um has value it's not so much your ability to to click something really nicely it's like putting yourself in it exactly what am i actually trying to say in this and being able to translate that into uh, a finished piece of work is um is probably the easier bit of the two it's actually having that that uh that picture in your head initially uh that that reflects your point of view is is probably the most difficult bit the other stuff can come yeah it's just perspective it's just your perspective i do that now like i look at stuff that i do now and because i never strive to be what i am you know like i didn't sit there and go i want to be a graphic designer or something like that it's hard to see things sometimes from that perspective and go I've worked on all these massive projects and I've done, I've got to travel the world and I've had this really good life that's been attributed from that. But I, I think it was the right path for me. Like I realized that as, as you get older, you realize that like, that was kind of like the, the type of person I am on the type of the way that I see the world and the way that I have that I struggle to work under other people and things like that. Like all of these different things all led down this path and it's just worked out really fucking well. Unfortunately, somewhere along the way, like I kind of fell in love with it. Like initially it was easy because it was positive reinforcement. So like I was good enough at something that people were like, Oh, you're, you're good at this. Can you do it for me? And that was positive reinforcement. It gave me like a, a position within uh, social setting somewhat and then from there it becomes like trying to do something better than you did last time or trying to earn more money or any of those things and I suppose that's just the path and it's the same as you I didn't really think about it it just ended up being what I did and um yeah I really fucking enjoy it now even with this like we are now doing a fully produced podcast that's on YouTube and we figured it out. This is 28, 29 episodes or something. But you figured it out along the way. And now, like, Tony's not here, but we do have all the cameras set up. Like, it's, it's, not the, the, it's not the perfect thing, but it's like you acquire skills. And the reason that you acquire those skills is because there's an interest. Like, you're like, I want to do this, so I'll make it fucking work. Like, if you need to do something to like with this like the only way that we can do this now is to actually figure out how to do it so if you your back's against the wall you'll figure it out and like i think that in that starting phase where like i was looking through the fucking careers book and stuff like that and people are like what what do you want to do with your life there isn't any of that there's just this like almost paralysis from the number of opportunity number of ideas that you could possibly have and you just need to kind of blindly choose but as life starts taking over and life starts getting more and more like, you know, you've got bills to pay. You have other friends that are starting to like 
move forward in their careers and, and you're like, oh, my being's kind of left behind, your back does get against the wall a little bit and you're like, oh, I can make this work. I, I'm, I can make this work because I fucking have to. And I think that that probably informs people's like career a little bit more than necessarily having that. Like I know a lot of people that have had that. I'm going to be a doctor. And then they finish fucking medical school and they're like, I've come this far and I just, I just don't want to do this. Like I want to do something different. Like Matt from, um, that does Hoodburger. He was a, uh, he was in finance or something like that. Like he was like a corporate guy. And then, and he was quite successful and he was kind of mid twenties. And then he was like, I hate this. This isn't what I want to do. And he could have, it might've been, re- I can't remember what it was, but it was like a corporate thing. And then he left, went and studied graphic design at TAFE so he could get like a little bit of fucking knowledge and stuff. And then started building brands and now has like a number of restaurants, you know? Yeah, I think that's the the downfall when it comes to the school system is that, you know, you just don't know what you want to do. Um, and those decisions that you're making around your potential vocations are usually based around what's going to make the most money. It's like, fuck that off. What do you love to do? Like if I, I look back now um, at, at kind of my life and I'm like, I should have been a photographer. I should have. Um, even when I was like nine years old, I used to take my dad's camera and just go and take photos. And I loved it. And I did it all through high school. And I was, I was good in high school and I enjoyed it. And I didn't pursue it um, because, you know, there was so much pressure on me from outside and myself to be like, oh, nah, you fuck all unless you're earning six figures. Like, and you don't see the direct route into um, six figures from a passion no not at all and i think that that comes with like more expensive education as well because you are around people that have that expectation as well and i didn't have that like i was that that wasn't something that was around me so like a lot of people just went into trades and stuff like that and it wasn't there wasn't the expectation like i don't think i know anyone i certainly don't know anyone from high school that ended up being a lawyer or a doctor or anything like that or as um, you look at my um the list of people that graduated at the same time as me, there's like three or four that are dead because they got into the drugs. But other than that, it's a fucking star-studded cast of fucking really rich people, you know? Man, I went to my um, 10-year high school reunion um, a while ago and there was... Yeah, more than fucking 10 years ago, bro. Right, bro. It was, it was a, a long, like a, a while ago. Yeah. And um, the this girl that no one... Like, we kind of knew her. But she was like Asian student, didn't speak like English second language, but she was around the place. But a lot of the Asian students sort of banded banded together and they didn't really socialize a lot um, outside of that and, and probably weren't like as accepted at the time and stuff. You know, we had a bunch of, it was a very multicultural school. So we had a bunch of like Asian dudes we play basketball with and stuff, but they were real Aussie, like they'd really come with the culture and then there was a, a sort of a, a group of sort of Asian, yeah, ESL students. And I remember the girl, but I didn't remember her super well. And everyone got there and like, there was, it was one of those things where a few people got to stand up and talk. And um, one of the girls got up and she was like, you could tell she was pissed off that she hadn't done, she, she, 
become a young mother and she was she had three kids and 10 years out of high school and props to her like it was that's great like she you know she had a family she had a husband and stuff like that but she was up there giving this speech as if like i don't need i'm not defined by my career this and that it was like yeah well no one's saying you are like this feels like your insecurity coming out on stage and then um this other girl got up and she fucking cured a certain strain of malaria that was like completely ruining a fucking island in like uh somewhere up north you know like um indonesia or something like that one of those small islands and had been nominated for the nobel prize Fuck. and we were just like yeah get it <laughs> but there was a dude i don't know if I, I can't remember if i told this story on here before about the dude that got shot i can't remember so this guy jason that i went to school with I, this is a bit of a weird story, but I had a friend who tried to kill themselves and it was a very big debacle and I was in the ambulance with them and it was the night from hell and I won't go into it too much, but I ended up at Joondalup Hospital um, with no shoes on in the middle of winter because I'd just run out of my house when I got this, I got, I got a phone call saying goodbye basically. And um, I managed to get to the person's house and then they were trying to gas themselves in a car and they were completely gone. So I called an ambulance, did the whole fucking nine. Um, they gave the person adrenaline in the, in the ambulance and she like woke up and like it was fucking crazy. It was the craziest experience ever. And I get to the hospital and they take her into the, the hospital, like in, into the emergency bit. And you're just, because I was in the ambulance, you're just kind of standing in the fucking triage area. They don't, you know, and then they're like, oh, you know, sit down here. But they're really just trying to, it's triage. They're just trying to save people. So I'm just sitting in this triage area on a chair on the side while they're like working on her. And there's just horrors going on. It's probably like three o'clock in the morning on a Saturday night or Sunday morning. And then the doors burst open and everyone's shouting. And this dude comes through. And he's been shot in the stomach and he's like screaming. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I'm already overloaded to, to shit, right? Like this, my world is just falling apart. And I look at the dude, he's like, his gurney thing st stops next to me. And it's Jason I went to high school with. And I'm like, what the fuck? And he kind of looks at me and we're like, and then they take him in and go to work on him. And I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? This is the strangest night ever. Bear in mind, like, I think I'm like, I'm a good like eight years out of high school by this point. So like, it's not like I'd been socializing with these people, but I go to my, my 10 year high school reunion and he gets up and speaks. And I'm like, this is going to be amazing. Cause he got shot. And I don't know, like I kind of knew the story from hearing bits and pieces afterwards, but he just got up. Like he was a manager of um, nightclubs. So he managed a few nightclubs in June to love, got into hospitality. I think he ended up opening a bar in, um, that Frankenstein's bar that's in Bali. It's like a themed sort of restaurant bar. Mm -hmm. I think that was his. He ended up doing that. But yeah, he was working at um, a nightclub opposite the police station actually in Joondalup, which I can't remember the name of. But um, they denied... It was notoriously rough. It was a fucking... I used to hang out there all the time when I, where I grew up. And he had kicked someone out for some reason, or the bouncers would kick someone out and the dude had been on the steps being like, oh, this is fucking bullshit. That a standard Joondalop behavior, right? He's absolutely hammered. He's gotten his ute. He's driven back to Queens 
It's a reasonable drive. And his rage has maintained. So he drives back to Queens, gets his rifle, and then gets in the car and comes back and shoots Jason on the steps of the fucking nightclub. Fucking hell. How mad do you have to be to like keep that level of anger up for like a 35, 40-minute round trip? Dude, you passed two McDonald's. You passed two McDonald's in that time. Like, oh, I could shoot a dude or I could get a McChicken. Dude, you got to be going. But yeah, he never told that story. That's so disappointing. He really should have. Would have definitely got some like pity roots after that, you would imagine. It was the coolest story. It was like it was way it was just it was it was on the level of the Nobel Prize one. <laughs> it's not like he almost got shot. Apparently getting shot in the stomach is like the most painful place you can be shot too. Yeah, he seemed to be holding it together. He didn't didn't have like a colostomy bag or anything. Oh so. wow. Good on him. Props to him. I don't know if that dude will ever hear this. <laughs> or if he's still alive. We do need to talk about Jack. Oh my God, that's what we've been doing. <laughs> I don't know. Dude. I'll preface it, man. Like the, me and Josh got, well, Josh was good enough to get his cage side tickets for Jack's fight. And normally, so Jack, previous guest on the show, um, lightweight champion um, in the country for, what's the promotion called? Eternal. Eternal, which is the, prim- the primary MMA thing. And he's kind of like, on a, he's obviously on a really good trajectory to get into the UFC. Um, professional, trains his ass off. He's completely dedicated to it. He's dedicated his life to it. And this was his third... I think this was his third title defense. Yeah. And we'd watched him fight a number of times before. I'd seen him fight when he was younger, um, like live. But uh, like when I was actually there. But then the majority of his fights have been on the Gold Coast... We actually went to Melbourne to go to, to a fight of his that, that got um, got cancelled. So we went cage side. Normally, if you're watching a friend, anyone that's... I know that we have like a lot of people that sort of train and stuff listening to this, but normally when you are watching someone fight that you know, it sucks. Like it's really... It's, it's super high highs when they win, but the feeling of them walking into the ring and all that sort of stuff, it's... I don't enjoy it. Like I enjoy, I enjoy that that's what they do. But the actual moment of them going in, you just like I just want you to be okay. And there's a lot of adrenaline. There's a lot of like anxiety and stuff from the position of the person that's watching. It's all I can really speak on, you know. And that's my f- f- friend. Like I fucking love this person. So I'm just like just, just fucking do whatever you got to do. You know what I mean? And he's very good. Like he's better than everyone. So it was like he's normally going to be fine. So we went to the fight and watched all of the undercard and stuff like that. And then Jack comes out and he looks super comfortable, super confident. He, he actually enters. We were sitting right next to where they entered the ring. And when he'd just been checked and had his like, uh, mouth guard checked and all of that, he would just kind of, you could see how focused he was. But he just kind of, as he glanced around, he, I caught eyes with him. I was like standing about six feet from him. And he just gave me the nod and I was like, fuck, let's go. This is going to be, you know, this is going to be great. But yeah, that, that nervous energy is there within me and you at least. And then, um, yeah, the fucking, the fight starts. That's the worst, man. I mean, he looked so sharp too. Like he threw, he threw a couple of leg kicks too. And then he threw like a couple of jabs and then he ripped this head kick and it was crisp as fuck. Like it was fast. It was accurate. 
dude blocked it, but I was like, oof, that was fucking good. And then immediately he throws his third leg kick and it was 22 seconds into the first round and his leg, he, he, his leg kick got checked. Like Aguilera did a great job of checking it, but he's connected his shin with like Aguilera's knee bone and it has snapped like clean in half, like Weidman, Silva, McGregor, all identical. And I've seen it. It's happened in slow motion. I've seen it connect. Scott slightly, his vision's been slightly slightly impeded. I think a referee was in front of me. Yeah. So I've seen it connect and then kind of like wrap around the other guy's leg and then kind of come back. And as it's come back, Jack's tried to step back and put weight on it and realized instantly what's happened, and he's just fallen to the ground. And his like, knee's pointing in one direction, and his foot is pointing in a direction that it definitely shouldn't be fucking pointing in. And his leg just looks like a soggy spaghetti noodle. And instantly, I was just... I didn't know what to do. Like, I, I found myself... I was on the floor. I was on my knees with my head over in my hands, like, over my head. And I was like... I realized what I was doing and I stood up, but I was like, I, what the fuck have I just seen? Because so many things hit you at once. First, your friend's fucking hurt in like one of the worst ways. That's fucking terrible. And then instantly you realize, okay, well now he's lost the championship. And then you realize, fuck, he's going to be out for 12 months. Maybe, um, there's a rehab that's going to have to go on what's the next step for his career? Because so much like Scott touched on before, he wanted to go UFC and things were looking good. Um, if, he'd have, if he'd have won that that fight, it's highly likely that he would have ended up there. And now, like, what does this mean for your, for your career? Where are you at now? And I've got, I've got so much faith in, in Jack's ability to, to bounce back, heal up, come back and win his title back. I reckon that's definitely going to happen. But I just feel so sorry for him because he has worked so hard to be constantly fucking um, knocked back, knocked back, knocked back. It's it's such a brutal sport in terms of the the almost the like collateral damage associated to it. It's not just that you've lost the fight; it's that you've now you know torched twelve months. You've lost opportunity. You've lost career, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We were saying that on the way out at the arena, and it was it was super somber. It was just such a fucking horrible. And like emotional experience, man, because as you said, like there is so much on that. And it was just to, just to know him and even just with the podcast that we got to do where we got to like really fucking talk about that stuff. Like I have so much respect for how focused he is and how realistic he is about what he does as well. He's not like stars in his eyes. Like I'd spoke to him. He's like, I don't want to, I'm not trying to just get in the UFC. He's like, I, I want to be good enough to be in the UFC. You know what I mean? Like, and he's got, he's got himself to that point and he's just fucking been at it since the day that I met him when he was like 19 years old, you know, like, and even before that, he will come back stronger and he will come back. And I think I, I see this as being like a setback for him, but he does have like a lot of professionals around him um, he's, he's in the best hands, you know, like this is injury is something to come back from. Um, apparently from, from reading about it and stuff, it's actually, it's fucking terrible, but it's more preferable to like doing your knee 
or something again because the rehab the rehab isn't as long. Um, the one of the hardest things for me is something that's just kind of burned into my head because it was one of those things that just it just happened, and then it was like you're trying to figure out it's just pandemonium like you don't know what to feel you don't know what to think you kind of like as you said like you don't even know what your own body's doing um but seeing Blair his girlfriend and she was just across there was like the entry point where he'd come through and so she was in a similar position but just on the other side to us and as he got the whistle you know like the um morphine the morphine thing and he was being brought out on the stretcher and I could see her standing there and I could just see this look on her face and she's a professional athlete. She's two time Olympian. So I know that she's like my boyfriend, the person that I love is like in, in pain and like there's, there's that immediate thing, but she also knows what that would mean from the position of an athlete. And it's like, it will be something to overcome, but it's fucking heartbreaking. So when we spoke to Liz, like when she did her, I think she did her knee Mm. before one of the Olympics and stuff. It's just so unforgiving. And you realize that it's such an elite, it's such an elite sport and it's not, the, the nature of what it is, you still look at it as a sport and I do, like I think it's like almost the peak of athleticism but it's fucking so dangerous at the same time and it's like, so when you, like you can lose and we were saying when we left the arena, it's like, I would have rather him got his fucking ass kicked and then come, you know, been able to come you know, lick your wounds and come back. That's like outside of dying or a spinal injury is kind of the worst way it could have, that's, it kind of felt like that was the worst way it could have gone. Um, but I, he is not a normal person. He's not, he doesn't see the world the same way that we do. He uses his, his body's fine tuned, his mind's fine tuned, and he's got all of the fucking skill set to be incredibly to be even more successful than he's already been. And I don't think this will be the end of the journey by any means. Like he's not probably quite in his prime yet. Like I think he's 31. So I'm sure he will be, I'm sure he's going to do the work and, and do everything correctly. And we'll be straight back in to that sort of same contention. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a motherfucker. It really is. But you're right though. I've always said like MMA, especially is the quintessential athlete. Like if you distill down all of the things that make a a high-level MMA athlete, it's like explosiveness, uh, stamina, cardio, strength, um, the ability to think while under the most extreme duress. Fight IQ. A guy is trying to literally murder you and you have to like be, be wits about you kind of thing. There's not really, I don't think, any sport on the planet that requires all of those all at once. Well, the most, the, the highest of high elite sports do. So, like, even as a footballer, if you're playing for, like, Real Madrid or something, it's like every fucking tiny little thing is like that. But with MMA, even at the level, because he's fighting at the, the highest professional level in Australia... But to go to that like next level, like UFC sort of thing, it's, I feel like all of those things, even to compete in MMA, even at an amateur level, 
you need almost all those things anyway to rise above. Otherwise, you'd just be another one of those dudes that's had two that had two MMA fights and was like, no, I can't fucking yeah. do. I can't tile when my hands broken. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so it it is, man. Like, I think at the at the highest level, it's more. I do. I think you're right. I think at the highest level, it's more. It's probably the peak of applying yourself physically, mentally. Absolutely, everything needs to align. Yeah, and um, that's incredibly hard to maintain. Absolutely. We do have some other friends competing though. Next, it's this month actually. End of the month, I think July. No, June nineteen. I want to say is the Oz Asia. ADCC trials. So the Abu Dhabi Jiu-Jitsu competition, um, like the premier, other than IBJJF, but um, I think ADCC, arguably most people would consider to be more relevant. It's like a lot of no-gi and all of that sort of stuff. Um, we've got like Rod Costa entered. Uh, Ming from the the gyms entered. Marco Ponos is entered. Marco was former world champion as well, I believe. He's a um, he's a weapon um, when it comes to Nogi. And I assume Lockie, the other guy at the gym, is going to go. I didn't see him in the registrations, though, but I'm pretty sure he'll be going. So if they win there, they'll go to, to ADCC, which, like I said, is, is the pinnacle of the sport when it comes to jiu-jitsu. So that's, that's this month over in Sydney. So if anyone's in Sydney and gets a chance to go look at that, I think Spectator's only 35 bucks something. You can see, like, Australia's best competing. And speaking of high level competition, you're making your first steps into the uh, into the competitive world of BJJ. I kind of didn't want to. <laughs> no, I kind of didn't want to say it just in case I don't do it. But you got to um, do it now. I know. I've um, I've been spitballing with the idea, not because I think I'm any good. In fact, I know I'm quite terrible still. Um, but I I'm looking for like a challenge i want to extend myself i want to put myself in a position that's um that is challenging um and i think that you know the lead the lead up to that event will be will be good because i'll really be able to push myself and uh, and train really hard and i'll be able to see what i'm made of kind of thing yeah and it gives you a purpose it gives it, it it's a reason to like not that you need like a stronger reason to go to training and stuff but you constantly need to be sort of setting the bar higher and higher. And like you've been going, you've been going at it for a, a pretty short amount of time and you're like definitely committed. So I think this is, I noticed that from a lot, having a lot of friends train BJJ, they do like to chuck you in competition, like pretty much pretty early on. So you can actually apply yourself outside of just sparring, I suppose. Yeah, look, um, I went into to my jiu-jitsu stuff with the intent to never compete. It, well, it's not... I didn't think it was really for me. Um, I w- always considered myself a hobbyist, but I think the more and more I get into it, there is something that... And from all the people I speak to and the YouTube stuff I watch, it's like there is an environment, a mental state that competing that only competing will be able to bring you. You can't replicate that in the gym. If you had a competition like intra-gym and you just set it up, the the stakes are never that high. Uh, and it's something that I want to experience. I want to know what that's like, even if I get fucking subbed in 30 seconds in my first match, like it is what it is. But That's not what it's about. It's just, it's about fucking testing yourself. Like, 
I think it's great. Like, you should definitely fucking do it. Yeah, I'm obviously just 37 and um, somewhat afraid of getting injured. Um, but fuck it. If I, if I break something, I break something. But um, it will be a fun story to tell. And, uh, yeah, I kind of just want to have a crack. And it looks like from what we've seen, I haven't, like, registered yet. We've just been talking about it in the group chat. But um, I think we've got seven people from the gym already keen to sign up um, and do it. And if we get like 10, Rod's going to uh, compete with us as well. So that'd be sick to see Rod um, compete. That's dope, man. I think it's such a fucking great thing. Like you've definitely fully taken to it and you really enjoy it. And like you said before, it's like it's not about being fucking great at something. Like you can't expect to just be great at something. It's like something that you're going to work on and work your way out through the belts and stuff because that's what you want to do. And yeah, competing is just another avenue for that, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be a challenge, but one that I'm looking forward to. Um, I'm looking forward to the preparation and and if, hopefully I get past round one. If you beat someone with a higher belt, do you get to take their belt? <laughs> you get to take their soul. Uh, no, we, we compete in weight classes and belt classes. So, um, you know, technically there's a master's division, which is like 30 plus. Um, but they often don't get a lot of people 30 plus com- like in competition. So you might register and just be known in there. But I bet I- they do more these days. Like no, I know a lot of people that are picking it up later. Yeah, but a lot of them aren't competing. It's um, it's a it's a big difference. Like for, there's a joke going around. Like people will register for a bracket knowing full well no one's going to compete just so they can get a medal and take it home. You know, like there's some of that shit that goes on. Um, or like you'll go and there's two people. So irrespective of whether you win or lose, you're going to get like first or second, mm. which is ridiculous. I'd rather like, I'd rather go in a group of 10 killers and die on my sword and come dead last rather than go into a division with two people and walk away with a silver. Like that's not, that's not a vibe. But um, so I will put myself in the master's one and like just the normal one, but it'll be like white belt less than 76 kilos. And so there's a weight cut, oh, not a weight cut, but like, cause I weigh, I think I weigh about 75 kilos on the nose at the moment. So, um, I'm just going to lift a heap of weights between now and then and just try and get an extra kilo in strength. <laughs> but, That's um, good. but I will have to get like weighed in and, um, and, and make sure that I'm on weight when I arrive. Otherwise you get put into the other division. Well, it's going to give you laser focus at least, you know, you got the best coaches and, it's funny because they were your friends before they're your coaches. So mm. it's going to be good, man. I think it'll be great for you. Yeah. I'm, I'm psyched. Hopefully it's, do you know when, do you know when it is? Yeah, it's uh, July 3rd. Yeah, sick. That's the day before I go away. I'll definitely be there. That's great. <laughs> I don't know if I want anyone there, bro. <laughs> no, I'm there, man. I reckon it's great. Like, don't talk it down. You definitely, I think it's something you should do for sure. Yeah. So we got um, Stefan Del Pizzo. I'll get him as my coach. He doesn't know that yet, but we've been talking about it last night and he's um he's great. Whenever I roll like open mats or something, Stefan's always real supportive. He'll sit there and like give me coaching on the sidelines. Um and Rod will put together a little strategy. And um and hopefully we can get fucking someone choked. That's sick, man. <laughs> I fucking love it. Well, I reckon we can probably leave it there for this uh, this period. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've got um we got a few interesting guests coming along. Um, I think if they fucking show up, I know. Well, stay tuned. I think the next episode we'll see, um, hot dogs from big brother. Mm. Um, 
a lot of the guys in, of our era remember will remember him. Apparently, he's got a fucking few funny stories. And we've got uh, we've got a friend of ours, Georgia, is going to come on and and talk from things through some things from a female perspective. She's got some yarn. So next few good. guests should be interesting. Yeah, we got um, Kyle as well from Garbage Garbage TV coming on. Indeed, which is awesome. And um, yeah, it's going to be fucking. It's going to be great. We'll do try and get a few more in the bag before I go away. Hell yeah! And then we'll yeah, we've it's definitely going to continue. Um, in the same way that you've just committed to doing a fucking jiu-jitsu tournament, I'll commit to this actually happening while I'm away. Hey, man, the shit's uh, getting some traction. We've got, um, we just clicked over 800 followers on Instagram. We've got 120 subscribers nearly now on um, on YouTube and Spotify's popping off. So thanks everyone for your continued support. Remember to click like, subscribe. There's a bell notification apparently that you can hit and get notifications when we post. You can do all these things. Do but all the things. Please, yeah, just if you if you do have a moment, because I know we've been doing this for a little while now and we've got quite a few episodes. So if you do enjoy it, you do watch it, just, yeah, just give it a follow or a like or anything because there is way more people consistently listening to this than, and, than are subscribing or following. Absolutely. And, like it doesn't. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't take anything to do that. So, and if you like it, we're both nice people. Messages on on the club, good face, our Instagram page, and we'll have yeah. a chat. Because, and shout out uh, to everyone that hits us up. Like, I get so many DMs now from people that listen to the podcast, like that just reach out, going, "Yo, like this, this meant a lot to me," or like, "I love this," or "This is hilarious." Like, it's it's dope. Like getting hit up by people that I've never met before, or people that I know that I don't keep in constant contact with, that are reaching out. You know, like. That enjoy this it it definitely makes it more it, it makes it worthwhile doing like i mean we we're going to continue this because i because we both fucking enjoy doing it and like you know even now it's saturday afternoon and we're here doing it and it's not hard it's fucking enjoyable so i definitely want to keep fucking rolling with it all right motherfuckers peace bye-bye Club good. 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 Club good.